You are listening to the Center for Urban Research Teaching and Outreach's Curtal Conversations podcast. In each episode, campus and community experts will highlight collaborations that contribute to the advancement of the human community. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnik rivers meet, and the people of Wisconsin, Sovereign, Anishi, Nave, Honchang, Menominee, Anita, and Mohinka nations remain present. Greetings and welcome to our latest episode for Curto Conversations. I am Robert Smith, the director of the Center for Urban Research, Teaching and Outreach at Marquette University. You know, usually Ben Lindsay is our host. And today we're going to take a bit of a different approach. I'm going to step in as host because we have, along with Ben, a couple of other graduate students who took part in a very remarkable and an important exchange of ideas this past January 2022. Indeed, members of the Marquette community, students, staff, faculty took part in a civil rights pilgrimage in which they went to a whole range of institutions, cultural institutions and museums throughout the South. And I wanna begin by welcoming this esteemed community of graduate students who are going to share their experiences on that civil rights pilgrimage. Today, I want to welcome Ben Lindsay, who will be a guest. Serena Jamison, who will also join us along with Saul Lopez. Folks, we're gonna start by giving you an opportunity to introduce yourselves, and then we'll get into the, the really good stuff around your experiences. Serena, will you start off for us and just tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Serena Jamison, and I am a Milwaukee native, currently finishing up my master's in the English department at Marquette. Thank you very much. Saul, you want to go next? Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me here. I'm Saul Lopez. I am a PhD student in the Educational Policy and Leadership Program here at Marquette. I am from Milwaukee, born and raised, and it's always a pleasure, pleasure to be talking with you, Rob, and everyone here. Thank you very much. And Ben, even though folks have heard that wonderful voice of yours. Tell us a little bit about who you are and your, your role today as a guest. Um, certainly. Thank you, Rob. Uh, my name is Benjamin Lindsay, and I am a PhD candidate in way too many years, and uh, be no further along on the dissertation than I am in American history here at Marquette University. I also am the senior graduate researcher for Curdo and the program coordinator for HWW's Humanities Without Walls here at the Marquette campus. Thank you all very much. Let's, let's get right into it, folks, because I, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Take us through some of the logistics. First, let's talk about how long you were gone, when you left, when you got back, and let's see if we can just map out the geography. Where'd you start? Where'd you go? Where'd you end up? All that kind of stuff. And then we'll dig into the more specifics around which institutions you attended and and then your experience is there. So can, can one of you please jump in and sort of give us the logistics of the trip so folks can kind of be in that same moment with you back in January? Well, I, I can start that off. We began the, the night before the, the trip by visiting the America's Black Holocaust Museum here in Milwaukee. And then, then the what, next... date, what date did you, what was that? 
Oh, goodness, the date. It was the fourth. So that was what we did. Um, we were lucky enough to have you there, Rob, and get a little early access because I know that the museum had not fully open to the public at that time, though I believe that the grand opening was last week. That's right. Grand opening. Yep, absolutely. February 25th. Yes, sir. And and so that was a, a fantastic way to start our, our journey to kind of, you know, prime the pump, as it were, intellectually, so that we could have a sense of what we were going to be journeying into. Then we left the next morning, January 5th, and drove down to my old stomping grounds. I'm originally from Western Kentucky. Uh, so we went to St. Louis, Missouri, and where we visited the George Boyer Vachon Museum, as well as the Griot Museum of Black History. Then from there, we went down to Memphis, Tennessee. And if someone would like to take the journey from there. Let me get this right for the listeners. So you start in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. America's Black Holocaust Museum. You head over to St. Louis. Then you head down to Memphis. Is that where you headed next? Yes. Alrighty. Anybody want to pick up there? Yes. On January 6th, we visited the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. We also engaged in the Bill Street walking tour, the MLK Plaza, the I Am A Man Plaza, Bill Street, and the Ida B. Wells Plaza. We also went to the Withers Collection Museum and Gallery in Dude, Memphis. That's just, three, that's, just, that's just three days. You did all that in three days? We haven't even gotten to... Right. <laughs> <laughs> We did a lot. We did a lot okay. in Memphis. <laughs> okay, man, Memphis. Was, okay, we're going to come back to Memphis. Go right ahead, Serena. Thank you. Yeah, and then we finished off with the Rock and Soul Museum in Memphis. So the next day, January 7th, we go down to Glendora, Mississippi, where we saw the Emmett Till Historic Intrepid Museum. We saw the historical marker uh, that marked the store where the incident with Emmett Till um, happened in Money, Mississippi. Then we went to the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum in Jackson. Okay, so so yeah. by day four, you had gone from Milwaukee to Jackson, Mississippi, and it looks like you had already attended somewhere around six or seven or more, eight maybe, historic sites or museums. So, mm -hmm. okay. All right, now we, let's all, let's get you in the conversation and, and, and sure. finish the trip off for us. So you, you leave Mississippi, and you head over to Alabama. Yes, the last couple of days are in Alabama. So we visited the Edmund Pettus Bridge um, in Selma. Uh, we walked from Brown AME to across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Then we visited the National Voting Rights Museum, also in Selma. And then we went over to Montgomery, where we, where we visited the Montgomery Interpretive Center. We also hit the Legacy Museum and then the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which was a big highlight. And then January 10th, uh, Rosa Parks Museum. And then we did a little walking tour that was focused on the Montgomery bus boycott. We visited also the Alabama State University campus uh, and some other historic sites that were nearby. And then we closed off the last day in Birmingham, where we went over to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. Uh, we went through the uh, Kelly Ingram Park and then finished off with the 16th Street uh, Baptist Church. And then after that, we just drove back to Milwaukee. It was a long. You bus slept ride. for three days when you got back. Is that? <laughs> yep, got back at five in the morning. I remember that. Well, you know, let's just give a shout out to the Center for Peacemaking for making this possible. That this is exactly the kind of uh, co-educational, co-curricular experiences that 
when universities are really hitting their stride, these are the kinds of activities that really amplify what we do as universities by, by providing the opportunity for a, a, a very rich and in-depth exploration of some of these really important you know, civil and human rights issues. And so shout outs and props to the Center for Peacemaking for making that happen for us. And so let's, let's, let's continue to dig a little bit, but let's start in our hometown, right? Let's, let's talk just a little bit about America's Black Holocaust Museum. You know, you all started your eight day pilgrimage right here in our own backyards. I'll just say as resident historian of America's Black Holocaust Museum that the, the reopening of this pillar in the Milwaukee community has already sent so many important waves of conversations and so much energy has been injected in this process that I'm looking forward to where the museum will take us. What, what were your thoughts and experiences as, as you were, you know, sort of getting yourselves ready to go, you're getting, getting, getting yourself situated, we, you begin the conversation there at America's Black Holocaust Museum. What are some of your immediate thoughts about that museum as a, as a starting point for your journey? Let's kick it over to Saul. Saul, why don't you start us off? Yeah, thanks, Rob. I think I've driven past the, the museum a lot and to be inside of it and, and be there before it officially opened was really a big honor. Uh, walking through the exhibit, it, I loved how it was a mix of both the past and the present. I specifically remember the more contemporary parts of the museum, I think towards the end. I really loved the Milwaukee connection. I think that's uh, one of the big points that I that I really remember and that really sticks with me, the Milwaukee connection, whether it was the artists or whether it was the figures that came out of the city, that came out of the area and how they had an influence. So for me, it was a really positive experience and it, it really provided me a good foundation for the trip that kind of carried along, along the next couple of days. Yeah, uh, definitely sure. a great experience. Cool. Serena, you, you and Saul both are native to Milwaukee. Can you talk a little bit more about America's Black Holocaust Museum? I would imagine it's been um, somewhere a part of your landscape over the years, whether it was open or even when it's closed. Can you just talk a little bit about its significance from your perspective as a native Milwaukee? Black Holocaust Museum for me, just its presence did so much for me in Milwaukee because a lot of times we don't hear about the the Black um, movements or human rights movements that happen in Milwaukee, per se. Like when we learn about the civil rights movement, it's always situated in the South or in other areas of the country. So having a museum dedicated in Milwaukee gave me a sense of pride and joy of like, hey, this is a place where I can learn about not only like Black history in a wide sense, but specifically what's going on in Milwaukee. So when I went through the museum, what really stood out to me was the part where we talked about Lil, Lil Phillips and, you know, her work on the fight for open housing in the 60s mm-hmm. and how there's buildings named after her. There's all mm-hmm. these different things, but I didn't learn more about like her work until later in my educational career. So yeah. Yeah. we've got these remarkable heroes and icons here locally. And none more significant, obviously, than the Honorable Val Phillips. And obviously the important work of Dr. Cameron, who's, you know, as, as far as we know, one of the last, maybe very few survivors of a lynching. You know, and the fact that we can begin this conversation about civil and human rights right here at home uh, with an institution of that magnitude, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a jewel. 
and we're so glad it, it's reopened. Let me let me ask a question that I think is sort of sitting around in this moment. You know, this occurred at the moment that the Omicron wave was really, in some ways, reaching its peak. We were grappling with that. How how were you all able to manage any of those anxieties? How did how did that sort of that that issue that I'm sure was always sitting there is it's, it's with us all the time, no matter what, how, how did you all grapple with that? Or what, what strategies did you use to, obviously you were using mitigation practices and whatnot, but, but how did that Omicron moment shape or impact your experiences? Ben, I'm gonna kick it over to you for that. I think that in addition to being encouraged by the university and also by the Center for Peacemaking to have your, your vaccinations and your boosters before leaving. They, they also provided us with a rapid test before we went to America's Black Holocaust Museum. So everybody had a sense of security that everyone was tested in COVID negative. And then even while on the bus, we were encouraged to wear our masks. We sat separately. Um, you could have conversations with your neighbors on the bus, but it was still a very safe environment. So amongst the Marquette cohort, I felt very confident and secure. Now, as we went in through some states where uh, the political climate does not take the pandemic as serious, being out in the public. Well stated. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I tried to be political there. You or know, apolitical. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Apolitical. The staff at every museum that we went to they were all masked up. They were taking it very seriously in a way that the general populace, I don't feel necessarily was. So that was also comforting. And the times when we were outside or stopped to eat or were really the only times that any of us were maskless for any length of time, except for like perhaps in our rooms at the hotel. But even then, the majority, I would say, even when walking outside, when it's not necessarily mandatory to have masks on, most people were still masked up. Uh, that's good. I, I, you know, the regardless of where we sit on this, and these issues do fall very distinctly on political lines, we know as a university, we have the responsibility to make sure that our community is as safe as possible so that we can continue to or begin to re-engage with these important, again, co-curricular, extracurricular ways of learning. And, and especially when we're able to really invest deeply in an experience. And so I'm glad that you all were feeling safe and, and you were able to traverse the South and, and, and deal with, how'd you put it, Ben, uh, folks who made take the pandemic a little less seriously. <laughs> yeah, folks who uh, follow a certain alphabetical letter, I won't repeat here. But, uh. <laughs> That's all right. All right, so so St. Louis, Memphis, Money, Mississippi, Glendora, Jackson, Sama, Lowndes County, Montgomery. Oh, man, like you, you hit them all. Birmingham. Let, let's, I, I know it's tough probably to remember each and every location, although I do want to ask you about each and every location. I won't do that today. Give me some of your reflections, though. Let's let's if if we were to pose the question, you know, what are some of the highlights? What are some of those um, key experiences, key takeaway experiences? What would those be? And and Serena, I'd like to start with you. If you can give us a sense of what, is, what some of those really really profound experiences and what institutions you were at. So many, but I think 
My family is originally from Ripley, Tennessee and Covington, Tennessee, both my parents. So Memphis is very close to those towns. So we went to the Withers Collection Museum and Gallery in Memphis, Tennessee, and just the gallery had different photographs throughout the movement and not only just the movement, but also musicians and just the culture in general. I just really found not only enlightening, but also really, I don't know how to explain the feeling that I had, but just witnessing, you know, Black joy in despite of like all of the things that Black people were, we were fighting for at that time really gave me a sense of like a holistic view of what it was like during that time. So were, were these experiences in these museums, Serena, immersive? Did you feel like you were walking back into mm-hmm. an era, back in, into something? Can, can you offer some of that language? Yes, absolutely. For example, when we went to Glendora, Mississippi, it was really, it felt for me like I was back in the 1950s, like time just stopped. Just experiencing like a place where this tragic thing happened and it made me reflect on how much land and space and place plays into our collective memories. Mm, So I was really left with that for most of the places we visited, but specifically Glendora, Mississippi and Selma in Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Ben, you, you and I have talked about these kinds of issues in various ways. How did you sort of experience, as Serena put it, space and place and all of that? You know, it was one of the factors of of space and place that really struck me. And I think it was just an accident of the pandemic. But the fact that we traveled to these locations via bus, you know, Mm -hmm. and so we were on these highways uh, in between Memphis and Selma or Selma and Montgomery and just had a chance to sit and watch the landscape go by that the either that the freedom riders had had taken or the marchers from Selma to Montgomery had had walked and just knowing that even though that it was 2022 and we were in a very modern bus with all the amenities that it's not that far away from what would have been going on for the bus riders in the 60s and I think small town America, whether in the North or the South, really hasn't changed that much. So if you are out there and when you are at a processing barn like in Glendora, not the one where Emmett Till was taken, but one almost identical that would have been almost identical that was on the property of one of his murderers. You know, it's very easy to lose sense of the time and place. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so so much of these experiences, this history, it's not only important for educational purposes. This is about our nation's history. This is about very important cultural histories. It's it's very much about our present time as we as we see and feel the echoes of history uh, and our our longstanding problems with race in this country uh, and uh, what has been obviously. Um, uh, one of the most politically and racially polarized moments that I've lived through. Uh, so, so this experience has, I'm sure, brought all kinds of thoughts and ideas associated with our 
contemporary landscape. And so, I, you know, I want to always shout out the work that you've done with our Blessed Hub, you and Veronica Antonio, you've done just remarkable stuff in getting that initiative going with uh, Dr. Velez. When you, when you think about museums, when you think about history, when you think about these difficult histories, how do you, as you, you go through your, your program, you're in education, how, how does this merge or help us understand important connections between education and learning and, and racial identity, healthy identity more broadly? you have any thoughts you can share along those lines? I have a lot of thoughts, but <laughs> Go, give them all to us. <laughs> I think the ones that really uh, stick out right now, the impact and the power of resources, community resources. And when we speak of museums, uh, we also have to keep in mind the stories and the narratives that are housed in those museums. And I think that's really important. Uh, and we saw that in the museums, you know, what, what stories were being honored. Um, but not everything was positive, as, as we all know, right? We also have to tell the stories of those who suffer, those who were oppressed, all the violence and, and all the tragedy that was part of the movement. But in, in that, also finding that resilience, right? And I think that a lot of the museums we visited did an amazing job showing the resilience. And if we think about the current events and the present, we need that past in order to like really enhance our present. How do I say this? Like if I'm looking at education and that's what's one of my passions, visiting museums, visiting narratives uh, is such an important aspect of constructing community, of constructing spaces for, for young students, for just students in general to find their voice. So I think that the trip really connects the notion of history is important and vital to like keep our communities thriving. You know, if we didn't have museums, then we we couldn't have a space for, for all these amazing narratives that, you know, connect to us. So just a quick example for me in Selma, I had a, had a really amazing experience walking the Edmund Pettus bridge, right? I had a really profound experience walking um, the same path that a lot of activists uh, walked, a lot of people that, you know, had to give up something of, of themselves to, to walk that bridge. And that day I really remember how quiet it was. It was really quiet. It was a nice day. It was really calm. And to just think about everything that happened, however many years ago, really puts things into perspective. And I think that really fueled me to think about the work I'm doing and, and think about the stuff that happens here in Milwaukee and how everything's kind of connected. You sure. know, I think sure. that's probably the, the biggest point I'll, I'll leave, just the connections that we build uh, throughout the country and throughout their communities that uh, really can help us push forward a, a positive um, mission like Curto or, or the, the stuff that's happening at Blessed at the yeah. Blessed Hub. Awesome, awesome. You know, we want to continue to talk about identity. And Serena, I really want to uh, invite you to bring your full self into our conversation as a Black woman. And I ask this very respectfully because I think there's quite a bit for people to learn from uh, some ideas that you can share with us. Can you can you bring to this conversation, will you bring to this conversation your particular uh, and unique perspectives as a Black woman in this experience, uh, you know, coming from Milwaukee, moving through the South, re revisiting our nation's ugly history with racism, our nation's ugly history with racial violence, our nation's ugly history with racial segregation, and uniquely how challenging, multiply 
challenging that has been for Black women. Can you offer some of your thoughts? And we, we are certainly appreciative of that. Of course, thank you, Rob. For me, the entire experience was an embodied one. Mm, tell us, Tell us what you mean by embodied. Every place that I visited, I had a visceral reaction, whether that reaction was positive, whether that reaction was of anger mm-hmm. or of mourning. For me, the history that I was engaging with, the places that I was engaging with was more than just a place to learn and knowledge, mm-hmm. which I was learning and gaining knowledge. It was an affirmation of the struggles that I'm currently facing as a Black woman, especially in academia and just in in society. Mm-hmm. And also a push to keep going because of all my ancestors that like pushed forth for us. So a lot of times I was really, really, I made sure that I was alone <laughs> because mm-hmm. I wanted to be alone with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to really reflect on, yes, I've learned about lynching and I've read the newspaper articles, I've seen the pictures, but to experience the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, to get the physical or physicality of it yeah. is, a, is a deeper meaning for me. And just learning about the women of the movement, those were not in the forefront, but very much, you know, the wills of the movement. <laughs> Sure. Was was inspiring. I think a lot of times things could be hard, especially in our current climate, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, but it's a constant reminder of just the resilience and the beauty, too, of, of Black women, of Black people. So. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I appreciate both you and Saul mentioning that, you know, these are very challenging museums, but there's so much strength remarkable courage that this is not only a a set of stories or journeys that's about the violence of white supremacy it's also uh, some important stories about the black experience that is not only funneled through that lens there's more to that to those stories Uh, and I I hear you all sharing that and I thank you for that because it's, it's important for folks to know that that journey is not one only about suffering that there's, there's much more uh, in, engaged in that. Uh, so thank you so very much for sharing. Ben, you, you're the only Southerner on the call now, brother. Uh, and we don't, we don't mean to ask you to speak for all of the South, but well, talk, you would say, well, <laughs> <laughs> but talk to us about what you understand and experience about all of this as a Southerner, you know, born and raised out of the South. Born and raised out of the South and to, you know, I, most listeners, if you listen for a while, you know that I am originally from Kentucky, uh, but I've also lived in Tennessee and Louisiana. So I have had the full South experience. Uh, let, let me put it to you that way. My uncle lived in Georgia for a while and we used to go down and visit him in the summers. And I'm of an age where we have to remember that the sixties are not that long ago. My aunt, my father, they were they were coming of age. There's only a year difference between them. My aunt was in Nashville when these sit-ins in Nashville were occurring. My ancestors were alive and active, not only during the civil rights movement, but prior to that, during the height of the lynching that would have occurred just a couple of, of decades before then. So on this pilgrimage, I 
I've lived 300 miles approximately from Memphis my entire life. And I've been to Memphis a few times. So I almost went to the University of Memphis, but it was the first time that I'd been to the National Civil Rights Museum there. Yeah, and coming face to face with the violence and realizing that my ancestors, if not active participants in the violence, were passive participants, the white liberal who didn't say anything, the one who would, you would see in the background of the crowd at these county fair-like um, conditions when there would be a lynching or in the crowd standing when they were trying to integrate schools. And so it's a sense of responsibility for the sins of my ancestors against people of color in this country. You know, I don't necessarily feel guilt because I'm not the one who did it, but I am responsible for that hurt and attempting to help bridge that and come to the healing that the country needs in matters of race and racial violence. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Let's get into some stories, you know, because for all of what we're discussing, we know how important stories are. You all just went through this rich, remarkable tapestry of stories. Um, if you can give listeners a story that, that brings home your experience when you got off the bus back in Milwaukee, you sat down with friend, family member, dog, and you say, I need to tell you what happened. What is the story that you share? The last day was really impactful for me, and that was in Birmingham. I was ready to go home. I was tired. The bus had taken its toll on me and, and my knees and my back. Uh, but I remember one, two specific really vivid moments. And one of them was during lunch. And it's a, it's a really random type of thing that happened. Um, I was with my brother and my roommate, Quan, and we were looking for some food. And we couldn't find anything that kind of spoke to us. And I remember they had a list. And, and I said, you know what? Let's just walk around. Let's see what we find, right? We walk around and we end up in this really kind of random, I think it was called like Miami Cafe. It was a Cuban restaurant in Birmingham. And I swear I had the best food on the trip <laughs> in this random. Like, Let's go. Hold on. Hold on. Let's go back. Let's just say it one more time. For those listening at home, you had what, where? I had, I even took a picture of the place because like, it was <laughs> amazing. Um, I had uh, a Cuban sandwich, a Cubano. Now that I remember. Yeah. And a Cubano at, let me see, I have the picture. Miami Cafe Fusion in Birmingham. How so, about that? Yeah. And please stop by. Nine-year-old behind a counter. She worked for her dad. It was a really nice place. Amazing. And just having that bonding experience with, with my brother and my roommate over food. I think that really was important. And after that, being the coffee lover I am, decided to look for some coffee and I couldn't find anything. And then I ended up at this random, I think it was a Mexican spot near downtown Birmingham. They were closed because of COVID restrictions. I knock on the door and I'm like, I'm looking for some coffee. Do you know where I can get some, right? I remember the, the servers like, oh, do you take it with milk or sugar? And I'm like, milk and sugar? Uh, yes. <laughs> pass. She's like, wait here. Five minutes pass. She goes out of her way, makes me a coffee and I'm ready to pay. And she's like, you know what? It's fine. You can keep it. And I think that was really emblematic. Uh, that was something that really stuck with me. 
you know, the love and, and just the little things that I experienced. And that's a story I'll never forget. That Southern hospitality, you know, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is true. And that is one story that I'll never forget. And just being, again, walking back to the 16th Street Baptist Church and sitting down in the pews where MLK spoke and where so much grief and so much pain was felt. But then again, the resilience. And mm-hmm. from there, everything that happened, I think, was really powerful for me. And and I think that little story of, of the Cuban sandwich and, and the coffee really is a testament to all that love that, you know, stayed there. And, and I'll never forget that. You know, it's hard not to pull on some of those threads, but we're going to keep going because I, as, as you told your story, I'm thinking migration, I'm thinking labor, I'm thinking, you know, race and all of its complexities and ethnicity and, and, and whatnot. I'm also thinking about things like sugar and coffee and cotton and tobacco, you know, <laughs> industry. You know what I mean? If we're talking Birmingham, right? So that that is that's a set of threads that we will have to have a conversation about another time. Serena, I, now you're into black rhetoric and storytelling. You know, you're doing you know black studies work. So so tell us a little bit about one of your stories, or feel free to thread some of your expertise with rhetoric and storytelling into this as well. I'm curious how you marry all of this. As everyone was speaking, I was just thinking about the dual narratives that we saw throughout the South, where, um, for example, in Montgomery, we'll have a monument uh, commemorating Confederate soldiers, and like right across the street is a monument um, celebrating um, Dr. Martin Luther King. Just a constant like duality and even conflicting uh, stories that are reflected not only in the museums, but like everyday spaces. One way that I think about language and like rhetoric and how um, we communicate is through art and through monuments and things like that. So one monument in particular that stood out to me was monument in Montgomery, Alabama, Mothers of Gynecology by, was um, created by Michelle Browder, who was, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, so welcoming and just amazing. And she just um, installed this monument to commemorate and depict three enslaved women who were subjects of experimentation for um, scientific research, essentially. So Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy being depicted beautifully in Montgomery in all their glory of Bantu knots, Afros, and Mm -hmm. just celebrating what it means to be Black. And how that in itself is telling a story of the presence and beauty of those who sacrificed their lives and who were exploited, who were murdered, who were enslaved, but they're still here. Yeah. When I think about storytelling, when I think about language and how we we tell our stories, it's more of telling that holistic story and paying attention to the dual narratives and just analyzing how that works, especially when we're in places like the South. Absolutely, absolutely. Ben, you got a story for us? I do. My story also comes from Montgomery and I want to back up Serena because that the Anarka, Lucy and Betsy 
Mothers of Gynecology exhibit is fantastic. You should definitely go check that out. We went to that right after we left the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And I would be safe in saying, I think, that everybody was in a very somber mood. And Michelle and her energy, and even though that this is honoring victims, the way that she has reclaimed that was very uplifting, at least for myself. But my story, you know, again, kind of goes back to what I said earlier as a Southerner. I went and looked at every county that I lived in in the South, five counties in three states, and every one of them had at least one lynching. It, it was just a reminder of how this struggle was not centralized to any one location, even in the South. We might geographically think of it as being something in the South, but there were lynchings in the North, in the West. This is an American story. This is not just a Selma or a Memphis story. And so that is what really stuck out to me was just the reminding ourselves that we tend to try and, and I'm going to use this term for a very specific reason, whitewash our history here in the U.S., not only of the white nationalist or white colonial privileging, but also to venerate our ideals and not our actions. And I think that mm. yeah. it is important that in education as educators, everybody on this call is an educator, that we engage with the fullness of our history and our story and so that we don't have these resurgent movements like we have now that are pushing back trying to keep this painful history and it is very painful silent and in favor of the mythology yeah yeah it, it is certainly almost absolutely necessary for us to herald and highlight the importance of these institutions, particularly as we meet this hostile moment where truth, history, and all of its siblings are under such grave attack, very blatantly and very obviously uh, across the country. All right, we, we, we could do this all day, but I've got to start wrapping this up. Leave us with a couple of thoughts. The first thing I want to respond, want you to respond to is you only get one. You only get one. What's the one museum or organization institution that we have to visit? And you can't three say the same ones. So if somebody steals yours, you got to come to your second or third option quickly. This is unfair, but I, Ben, you start. Give us, you only get one. We're going to go Ben, Serena, Saul. And then my last question is I want you to just offer any final thoughts or reflections for folks as we depart. All righty. Ben, one. You only get one. I'm going to cheat and do two because they're the same they organization. <laughs> but it's the EGI and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Sure. Because it's really the same. It's the same story. Yeah, absolutely. Serena, you only get one. Yeah, Ben, you took mine. Uh, but I will say the Mothers of Gynecology Monument. Got to see it. Okay. So you only get one. And they've taken three, although it should have been two. It's all good. I'll, I mentioned it and I'll mention it again. 16th Street Baptist Church. Phenomenal experience. Yeah. And so we're going to stay with you. If you if you when you when you talk to our young folks who interact with the Blessed Hub, when you work with young people around the city, when you're working with our college students here at Marquette, what what was what, what are some final thoughts you want to share with these folks? Really 
really, really engage with the stories of your people, the story of yourself and the story of your community. Uh, really be cognizant of the stories that you hear and really, really use your story to motivate your work and motivate your life. I think that's something that I'll always carry and I always tell students, your story has strength and power. All right, thank you so very much. So Ben, closing thoughts. My closing thought actually echoes what Saul said in that even though I am an educator, I am still learning and I'm learning from the stories of those I educate and of the people whom I meet. And I have met so many people that I would not have had the opportunity to if I'd never moved to Milwaukee. And that has enriched my life to a tremendous level. And I continue to hope that that will happen as I continue this journey that we call life. Thank you so very much. Serena, give us the last word. Yeah, as I reflect, I think of... Talk to your elders, learn mm-hmm. about their stories, what they've gone through, what they remember. Um, to keep seeking truth, we have to tell stories and get to know that information. So, absolutely. Ben Lindsay, Saul Lopez, Serena Jamison, thank you all so much for joining us today for another episode of Curdo Conversations. One more time, big shout out to the Center for Peacemaking for making this happen. Again, welcome back, America's Black Holocaust Museum. Folks, I'm Robert Smith, director of Curdo. We're so glad you joined us. Look forward to many more of these conversations as we continue to dig into some of our rich and cool experiences as we work with our experts in our communities and on campus. Have a wonderful day, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Curdo Conversations. You can learn more about this podcast and the work being done with our partners by visiting the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at urbancenter at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is by Ronald E. Johnson, whose music can be found at Choco Geek Ensemble.